Hello and welcome to From the Rooftops. That's Clay. And that's Dan. And we're continuing our streak of annoying academic professors with slightly misnamed types of myth with a discussion of setting. Yeah, in the first episode, amidst all the ramblings, we talked about how a superhero story needs a modern or current contemporary setting. Because, you know, modern, postmodern, current, contemporary are words that mean different things in different contexts, but generally speaking, they should take place now-ish, relevant, relative to the perspective of us talking here in this moment. <laughs> and we can get into that a bit and just talk about the superhero setting as a shared universe and the ups and downs of that and who goes where and then the how. Because there's a lot to say and not a lot has been said by us because we talk about the intersection of characters and what have you. And that's important because a lot of times individual characters establish settings and are an important part of those settings, but not a lot about the places and the time. Yeah. And of course, postmodern is a is a really awkward word because it has an academic purpose and meaning and it's still largely in academia hasn't moved away from that. But people, broadly speaking, only are very confident in what they think right. it means then there's, then there's and not anything to do with what it means. Like the painting and what have you, sculpture and how that. This is, like I said, these words have completely different meanings yeah. once you go into different disciplines and different schools of thought. A thing I like to hold to, and this is something I got from my uh, post-creationist life, was that words don't have meanings. Words have usages. I can go with that. Yeah. Like, postmodern in this context could mean slightly after the modern era. Uh, on the other hand, if I'm at the university giving a talk about postmodern reflexivity in board games, I don't mean stuff that hasn't come out yet. This, uh, this ambiguity of language usage is one of the many things about academia that people pretty legitimately hate. Yeah, and then where does futurism fall into this whole thing? Or retrofuturism, which is... <laughs> well, that's also known ca casually as Z-Rust, but that's for the discussion of Tom Strong. Mm. Yeah. And indeed... Well, I mean, it is... I, I think that there is an interesting definitely... retrofuturism in our memories of City of Heroes, which when we do a City of Heroes episode, and we will, that's going to get a real working. Right. I mean, just discussions about, like, setting that we've heard recently, and it's interesting when people talk about, like, a superhero city. Because, like, the city is very important, right, to a lot of what we call classic, like, definitive superheroes. It's always about defending your city. But then there's also the entire world. And one of the weird things is the how of the city, right? Because we always think of, like, Gotham and Metropolis as, you know, directly juxtaposed to each other. And Gotham is very, like, generally presented as very retro. We're very, like stuck in the 30s or 40s and metropolis is always very futuristic or at least retro futuristic as we like to say and i think a lot of people who create superhero settings want to make that retro futuristic design like sometimes to the detriment of a lot of other things a well, that's also like visually too because i know a lot of people want to make a utopian quote, superhero setting which feels kind yeah. of against the intent to me because like hey if you say utopian, I generally think doesn't have any more mainstream problems, which is mm. so then why does like why does society have to fail to such an extent that someone needs to put on a an outfit and solve the problems if it's like the, and really they what they want to do is just create a place that looks like Metropolis, you know, because Metropolis is cool. Yeah, uh, though at the same time, Metropolis is also slightly utopian because the kind of problems that actually persist in and inhabit a, a dangerous city. Uh, don't appear in Metropolis. There's um, there's a similar thing with Sherlock Holmes, mm. of all things, 
where Sherlock Holmes is the greatest mind of his generation. He spends his time solving puzzles and problems that uh, uh, represent terrible crimes. He lived in the heart of and at the peak of the British Empire. And not once did Sherlock Holmes sit back and go, we're a bunch of Mm. fucking dickheads, aren't we? Like, his story is a utopian view of the Empire because the problems they deal with are, well, this royal's jewellery went missing or four or five people have been murdered. It's, it's, It's also interesting to go back to say, you know, these are fictional sayings. You go to a place like Gotham and it's, you know, represents, I guess, humanity at its worst, so to speak. But, I mean, it could always get worse, you know, just go down the street to Bloodhaven or go to Hub City. Not Hub City. Um, where, where, where did the question live? Wasn't, God, if I remember. God, it's going to kill me. Cause the, I know where the Punisher lives. <laughs> in a van. Yeah, no, but... <laughs> no, the, the whole thing of, like, uh, the, the Danny O'Neill question was, like, actually, you know what? Fuck our city. Fuck our city entirely. Like, that was the lesson he learned. <laughs> At the end of the day, it was like, my city's so <laughs> terrible. Well, I just get the fuck out. That was his character growth. The Vic Sage just finally goes, you know what, I'm out. Like, like, fuck it, I'm out. And there's so much, like, there's so much stuff there. Hub City. Yeah, see, I don't know why I was thinking Hub City is also where Hawkman lives. Hudson City? Whatever. But yeah, that whole, there's the crime city, and then there's, like, the fun city, which is a thing you see a lot. Uh, and... You go, that's part of my, you know, New York's supposed to be the world outside your window. But, you know, it's it's also a fictionalized New York a lot of the time. Yeah. Hell's Kitchen and the state of it all. Yeah, which, of course, with with um time marching on and not being the friend of comics at the best of times, uh, Daredevil, the TV series, is depicting a Hell's Kitchen that is nothing like Hell's Kitchen. And when they do the flashback of Fisk's childhood. They don't show uh, the right time, really. They show the 70s, but it should probably be the 50s. Yeah, well, you know, because, you know, Kingpin has that, like, mob boss aspect, so, like, his past should always feel like an episode of Sopranos, kind of. And that dynamic is different, which is always, you know, they take place in this fictionalized world, Mm. but it is very much a world. And, you know, I said earlier that I say it a lot that, you know, ex, you know, favorite superhero is not technically a superhero and that's not a bad thing, but like, and I make fun of Captain America. Oh, fuck you. You're not an A-lister. You're Captain America. But he is important as that sort of central point in that military part of his world so that we know what the government is doing, kind of, in the same way that, you know. There is a detail communicated right. by the existence of Captain America that is honestly kind of almost uh, too obvious right <laughs> yeah but also america exists any any setting with captain america in it has to yeah, have some reason not even for the just word that america i mean to have meaning. Oh, wait, and you know recently it's gonna blah 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 it's gonna empire everybody's mad but in many cases when captain america shows up to your book he's basically <laughs> coming in and saying this is what america thinks as an institution thinks about whatever you're doing in the same way that, you know, Doctor Strange will show up in a book and be like, okay, yeah. this is what magic in general has to say about the goings-on in your environment. And, it, and you know, the Green Lantern's the same way. Here's what space yeah. thinks about the shit you're doing and how that intersection works. And like, those characters are super important, not just because they give yeah. people an in. You know, if you're not into the superhero thing, you still have an in if you like, you know, modern, you know, as a... Uh, 
urban fantasy, you get in through Doctor Strange. A couple months later, you're reading Spider-Man. You don't know what happened. You got tricked. Get yeah, <laughs> and yeah, it just uh, just sneaks up on you. Just boom. But just like I said, that's what hmm? very stealthy Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a very sneaky in his bright red costume. That's why like two thirds of his modern games have stealth sections for some fucking reason. But uh, yeah, the the f- fundamental idea underneath the uh, the modern setting is a point of what we call assonance. That is to say, there is meant to be something we can look at and point to and go, that is reminiscent of and meaningful to me now in a way I recognize. Right, and I think that's one of the things that I think draws a lot of people is that there's an entry point for you, but then you can go way the fuck out there if you want to. You know, you can go super into, I guess, the Kirby spike point where now you're going into space and dealing with a bunch of bullshit that is crazy or you're diving into the depths of hell or, you know, turning around the corner and dealing with a you know, crazy spy adventure that you're not going to get in, like, a Tolkien-type setting or even in a super-futuristic setting. Yeah. Even if the super-futuristic setting has cities and modern environments and, you know, inexplicable sort of modern prob- current problems. Because, oh, it's in the future, but we still have to, mm-hmm. you know... You know, have pickpockets and shit. Or whatever. Yeah. And and that creates this other question of like why crime? Why why is crime a thing? And that's that that sounds kind of silly, but it is a, a, a very meaningful question you want to answer as a world builder of why does crime exist? In uh a couple of my friends are in a role playing uh superhero universe because we're really cool. Um and in that space the the storyteller setting it up said that they wanted it to be a utopian world with superheroes in it and this this is a subject that therefore has been very close to my heart and my thoughts of late because i think it's not only doable it's not even hard the question becomes what is the what is your default assumption of a world and that informs characters particularly characters like superman because mm-hmm. okay so um, superman right <laughs> superman broadly speaking you've heard of the guy he's kind of known yeah I, I don't know <laughs> i'm not sure about this guy i mean i don't know if he's gonna pop off it's he, he might not last right? where, where are his guns <laughs> anyway joking aside superman as a character is a character who has to in golden age certainly exist in a utopian world because from superman's perspective superman's powers are not ignoring some of the sillier things we did back in the day of super weaving and whatnot superman's powers are fundamentally about restoring and maintaining a status quo superman can save something from falling off something and he can put something high up but that's pretty much his thing right that means that from the superman's from superman's perspective the uh the fundamental story is the world is a good place how can i maintain it what can I do to protect it from getting worse? Now, with that in mind, you can indeed do a utopian story and then say, all right, it is a utopian place to start with. That's that's where we're coming from with this. But stuff has happened that is infringing on that. And now it falls to heroes to try and recover what, w- what will be lost if it is not addressed. Uh, City of Heroes uh, did not try and do it this way, by the way. City of Heroes was very much more a... Uh, a well not dystopian but uh city of heroes didn't try for that particular style i think part of the thing about that mentality is the superhero story should have the potential to continue 
you know, as long as it feels a need to, right? Like, it's supposed to be a continuing adventure sort of situation. And on a long-term yeah. basis, like, the idea that the world's okay and I'm just fixing these occasional problems starts to hold less weight as things, like, consistently, constantly fuck up, right? Like, well, it, de it depends on how you handle the fuck-ups. Like, as much as, as, much as uh, weirdly, you know who's a really good example of a story with uh, acceptable levels of fuck-up? Okay. Batman. A lot of a lot of Batman stories at their core would be fine if it was just uh um you know a couple of goofy criminals are planning a heist a couple of weirdos are going right. to do a thing right it's the it's the uh the Joker is going to somehow bomb every school that right. exists I mean that's the thing too right when if things get weird it's it's a it's a numbers thing so how often does this thing happen to where how how can you continue to have this mentality if it happens once a month, right? You know, it's yeah, and indeed, this is part of why variety is so important. Why, for all that people make fun of them, the the weird, silly, let's go fight in space or let's go deal with someone being turned into a gorilla story are really valuable because they're just not right. another and instance also of a terrible where, person doing a terrible thing. You know, you want a story to continue for an extended period of time because it's serialized in that way, but you also want it to stop. At a certain point, so that you can pick up with someone else and do something different. You know, it's, it's almost 80 years later. We probably shouldn't be reading about Superman still doing anything at this point. It should be someone else filling that slot. You know, help, A, it fills out his world, but also it doesn't detract from him as a character to be like, well, why haven't you solved all the problems by now? You know, because it's like, oh, I stopped. I went away. Yeah, and, and there is... And there is the question of, like, is Superman a person who solves problems or is Superman a person who stabilizes things so other people can? And if you try to make Superman the person who would solve problems, then you're going to run into that problem, especially when his, prob right. when his problem solving is so, so out of scope Which, with the other stuff. Like, and that's Superman also the thing of, pick up like, buildings, scale, for God's sake. How that scale intersects with that, right? Because in a superhero, one of the appeals of super is you can all come in and we all have a place there. So you want these different scales of problems yeah. all going on simultaneously. You know, if Superman successfully stops Darkseid from eating the planet, okay, that's great. Joker still has these hostages. Like, it may have been better for everybody if he let him eat the planet. Not Darkseid. Well, Earth 2 Darkseid eats planets. Um, yeah. It's actually really... I'll show you some shit. It was really elaborate how they ate that planet. It's elaborate how they ate that planet. <laughs> they had their planet come apart and eat the planet. Just getting the nitpick out of the way but, there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but... I've watched thing, Transformers. Right? You can't uh, scare me. That, that whole idea of what is your normal? And that's ultimately what a setting is there to do. Settings are there to provide for you a background scheme of what examples meaningfully say to you say to you hey this is a normal thing to have happen this is one of the reasons why when you start delving into um the real chuckle fucks of life like i'm not going to tell you any names or anything but if you go go looking on youtube for anyone who has say really serious opinions about race mixing they will almost always bring up as examples of things that prove their point fiction Literally, not ju not just I believe this hoax, but they'll bring up the Lord of the Goddamn Rings. Yeah, that's what they call motherfuckers orcs. <laughs> they literally call people orcs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. B by the way, this is uh, also one one of the many ways in which nerds have 
broaden the horizon for new and horrible racial slurs, go us. But the idea that the fiction you consume helps anchor you to what you consider normal. And sometimes these people's view of normal is so hecked up, they have to look at things that are definitely not normal and say, oh, this is this is reality. Uh, this is a meaningful substitute for reality. And that's why the superhero being in a modern setting is so important because they need to be able to point to now and here and say, all right, we are actually trying to yeah, tell I mean, you stories about lives like the whole mutant thing where it'd be great for Storm to be like, hey, I'm a black woman. This is applies. Or, you know, Professor X, when he was alive, to say, uh, hi, I'm here in this wheelchair, so I have some opinions on this matter. Uh, you know, it's not just the mutant thing. It's not just the superpowered futury thing. It's also something tangible and real. And you want that access point, because every once in a while, you want Green Lantern to come back to Earth and deal with real-world things. Not always, because that's not his thing, but you want that intersection. That's well, yeah. Green, Green Lantern is one of our examples, like the X-Men, though. He's a character who exists in a superheroic universe, and that gives him a different tool set. But in a lot of ways, he's more of a road trip. Yeah, but it is important. I mean, it's... Hell, that's... I, you go to... Talking about road trips, that's part of the whole thing I like about Ghost Rider, where he's not actually a superhero. Not from, like, a moral standpoint, but more like he's almost like an urban legend sort of character, where it's all about, I went down this road and this weird shit happened, usually involving Satan. But, which, hey, that's the life, right? Maybe that's my life. Uh, just that intersection. Because, like I said, those characters, like, spin the wheels of their world a little more than Superman does. Because Superman is a superhero in his own, like, context. And he solves problems when they appear. Yeah. Whereas Captain America, Doctor Strange, Doctor Fate, uh, the various, like, major science characters, uh, space characters, sort of hold the pieces together. <laughs> I'm such a dork. My thought of major space characters, I went, oh yeah, like binary. No, binary hasn't been around for ten years. You know, like uh, like no. Well, how important Star is Lord. Nova these days? Yeah, stop. He's he. I mean, at these at these point, are they? They're still not like an official authority in the way that the Nova Corps is. I would say no, but but uh, oh, if Korean. you wanted to go with oh yeah yeah. Or even just, this is, they, uh, Eternals, maybe? Eternals always just feel like, again, more like a cosmic thing, like a natural disaster. Yeah, they really are. They're they're the kind of people yeah. who make fun of Aaron Stack. <laughs> okay. No, seriously, oh. it was, it was <laughs> like the next way. Oh, right! I forgot that <laughs> Machine Man, and not Robot Man, as I called him, uh, you know, <laughs> has a government name. <laughs> I forgot both of You forgot he was in Next Wave! <laughs> Just like the other character you thought you'd lead the Avengers, forget, who was I, also I in next wave. All of his names. <laughs> Making up. <laughs> anyway, the 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 setting of a character is part of what defines normal and part of what defines what they deal with. Um, this is this is going to in some cases be really really tenuous, and sometimes characters can impact the setting of another character, even though they share like a greater meta setting. Um, the actions of Bruce Wayne, for example, uh, do have impact on uh, a lot of other superheroes, which is why you might notice that most of the time, superheroes of his scale tend to be people bound to and interested in one city. Yeah, and like the city setting is great, but then also 
I like that Super Saiyan headings have bullshit like off on the sides. I like the Savage Land. Uh, you know, I like the desert environments that that are mm. like there's way more desert in like Hulk's America than there is in like real America because you need enough desert with enough cities for him to smash. But just talking about that intersection of characters who like do shit over there that affects you over yeah. here and the Hulk. I like the whole thing of like Planet Hulk leading into World War Hulk, where you have three like assholes making a decision who kind of also represent the pillars of their environment. You have um, Doctor Strange, Mr. Fantastic, the Illuminati. But you have like the super science guy, the super money guy, and the super magic guy saying, "Okay, we need to fix the Hulk," and then that just fucks everybody up, and it really fucked up lots of street level characters. When he came back, you read uh, the old heroes for hire, and suddenly, like half of their characters end up dying in that event <laughs> and breaking up. Yeah. Now there is a connected element there in that the Hulk, uh, in that that is an example of the the normal of their setting is a place where the Hulk right. can happen. This is uh this is true for also the X Men. The X Men are a character group who need their normal to feature people yeah. whose faces explode. And somehow get pissy about it. <laughs> that, that's again. I guess if they got too much into all of that to like make all of that work, at some point you lose the normalcy of it. You know, if if you have to accommodate all yeah. of the superpower shit into everyday life, then you start to lose the point of making it take place in a current city, right? Well, the other thing is that's that's interesting is that. There's this concept in art called verisimilitude, which is basically the art or, or f- function of a thing appearing to be real seeming. Not appearing to be real, not appearing to, not, not realism, which is a thing we often think we want in our media, but oh boy, do we not want it in our media. Um, but verisimilitude is the idea that things should comply with our expectations of what we are pretty sure real is. Comics have a great distortion of verisimilitude that we often don't even realize. Like, think about this. Superman was still getting into phone booths to get changed in the 90s. Yeah, I'm pretty sure all payphones in the 90s were just these sad little sticks. Mm. Yeah, there were stand-ups. Um... Similarly, how often, really, think think about it seriously, how often do you hear about an armed standoff at a bank robbery? Unless you are living in literally, actually, Bloodhaven, you've probably never had that happen near you. Know, you. They just get shot. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, there's that. Uh, and, and, in our, and in our case, it just doesn't happen. Uh the last the last time a bank robbery of any scale happened it was because someone left a till unattended (laughs) (laughs) but yeah the the thing is comic books thrive on the idea that oh yeah there's an armed standoff at the at the the bank and the police are too the police can't risk going in there so it falls to spider-man to go in there or something like that and that's so common as to be like that scene and sequence itself is so Right, Used, like, that's, it is a trope. That's how you keep it. Like, if you just want to show, here's the hero doing his thing. Uh, random. Oh, the other thing about that though is like the lack of a realism. It's, it probably makes it safe because let's flip that into a real world analog of a thing that happens all the time: a school shooting. 
You want to keep doing that? Is that the standard we want now? I mean, yeah. Well, you know, well, I I just want to say, um, school shootings don't happen all the time, sir. This is this, <laughs> this is where we reveal ourselves as an international podcast. Niggas get shot in schools all the time. Yeah, <laughs> like that's just the reality of it. Yeah, it's fucking it's, depressing. It's, but everywhere else in the world, oh yeah, this but doesn't think about the, how many problems the society would have to face if the fictional bank robbery got replaced with the real school shooting. Oh god, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You don't. Or I was, I was going to go one step, step grimmer, which is if you want, like, because, because in your typical superhero story, you want to show something where there's an obvious bad party and an obvious good party, and stepping in makes you the good guy, no matter what happens, right? And I know an incident like that happens, and I know it happens all the time, which is domestic abuse. Yeah. Well, they. I don't. I don't want to see a comic book which is defined where every single here meet a new superhero is someone interrupting a white yeah. meeting. I. I don't want to see that world. Are we. Are we. See, for me, this is a very clear cut point. But we could also do a you know, quote unquote riot or protest being attacked by police. Oh well. God, wouldn't that be a great world where it's just. Oof, well, it'd be a step back. It'd be a step back in a yeah. weird way where it's like, first thing, punch a Nazi at a rally. Superhero, right? right? Nice. <laughs> oh, 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 That's I, a good no, guy. not, man. You have to talk to them and you have to have the moral high ground, right? Yeah, you know what the moral high ground is? Not being a fucking Nazi. Right. Anyway. But that's the fucking thing, right? <laughs> it's it's the, all these weird disasters. Oh, I mean, there's the other thing, you know? We're going to be dealing with this more and more where they avert a natural disaster or save people during one, you know, during a hurricane, during the forest fires. Yeah. That kind of thing. And the question is, why are these happening? Why isn't there infrastructure to deal with these problems? <laughs> you know. And there's, a, and there's a connected struggle here in the context of comics in that when Superman got made, Medicare didn't exist. There was, there was honest to God, Superman comics explaining Medicare to kids and Medicaid in the context of, hey, socialized healthcare, it's a way we can all take care of one another. It's a good thing. And there were, I, I shit you not, go looking for this stuff. It is out there of Superman, like, turning up to some kids and going, hey, yeah, this is how this is how public healthcare is going to work. I heard it's all about commies. Yeah, well, it's not. Shut up. And, like, that's, that's bananas. <laughs> that... <laughs> That's how old Superman is. Superman was dealing with a world where infrastructure was so poor, there were literally poor yeah. houses. Well, fucking, we still got homeless shelters, but there's a whole thing about that. But there, yeah, there, well, and, and indeed, that's when you get to look at things like how superhero comics handle homelessness and the things in our real world that comic books do or don't handle very well. Oh, you mean like The Lost? Yeah. Yeah. The Lost in City of Heroes, who... Uh, you know what? What? What better way to fight the trope of the scary homeless person than making them literal shape-shifting aliens? Yes, yes. Or uh, the scrapyarders. You know, let's go and fucking. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course, that was in City of Villains. So you know what? I'll let that ride because that was that was your. I'm so fucking evil. I'm gonna go attack this protest like thing. I'm so needlessly and pettily right. evil. You you get nothing out of it too, which was the thing I loved about it. In, okay, so, for, so for context for the list up, back in City of Heroes, there were factions of enemies you fought. And this was just typical enemy, like, different you, you know how bad MMOs will let you fight different mm -hmm. colors of gremlin, and, you know, eventually you'll be fighting bigger gremlins, which have cloud effects, right, but right, it's right. still the same gremlin. 
City of Heroes instead striated itself into uh, groupings of enemy factions who were all kind of very classic comic-y archetypes of things. And one of those groups was a group of, uh, well, homeless people uh, called the Lost, who had been uh, corrupted by invading shape-shifting aliens. And uh, yeah, that's super comfortable. Uh, that, that, that's just totally something we, was we're totally cool with, apparently. Um, and also, There was definitely an arc where you found a cure for their problem and cured them. And so I guess that's part... Because, you know, the timelines in, super, in the whole game were weird. So hypothetically, once you reached X level, you stopped seeing loss because you out-leveled them. And also you did the lost cure event. So you don't see loss because you fixed the problem. But, yeah. you know, what if you didn't take that mission? What if you... What if you go back? Yada, yada, yada. And there's ways... That is actually one of the nice things about that game, in that they did do a tr- they did try and explain right. why certain enemy groups phased out. But on the villain side, Talon. Yeah. <laughs> on the villain side, you had... Okay, I, I, I want to underscore. The villains in City of Heroes weren't villains as much as they were petty dicks. Yes. All right? You weren't building a weather machine. You weren't having a nemesis. You weren't constructing an elaborate plot or weaving a conspiracy. Mostly, you were running around doing crime in a shitty part of the world, usually to people just as shitty as you. Yeah. It was crime world and, and crime land. It was fucking Magipur. It actually took place in, like, the worst place on Earth, run by Dr. Doom with a spider fetish. And he basically said, just do what you want yeah. over there, but don't fuck with us. Or we'll kill you. Yes, this is my social this is my social Darwinism proving once again anyone who brings up social Darwinism has never read the book. Um, but uh, in in this context, there is one chunk of that setting called Sharkhead Island, which is basically a steelworks uh, island and uh, again, not read you know created by people who didn't actually appreciate how big real steelworks are. Um, I, I have a personal bugbear about that. But in this place, the faction that was just, you know, your usual run around, not particularly dangerous, not particularly scary, but still kind of cool, were the Scrapyarders, who were the labor union of a prison force um, held under the foot of a consortium of uh, corrupt prison guards. Oh, yeah. You could beat up the prison guards too, but but the basics of it was you were, if you wanted to, capable of running around in this setting beating up protesting prisoners who were demanding such unreasonable things as 10-day work weeks. Hey, and, and I was going to talk about Scrapyard no himself. <laughs> so in the in yes. Heroes, you can have then. events where stuff happens. Whatever. You know, beat up 20 of these guys and this, that, and third. The other thing was a giant monster, a super powerful enemy would appear. And one of them who represented Scrapyarders was the ghost of Scrapyard. Basically, the founder of this union, who was eaten by one of the major villains, a shark man, and and he yeah. said, "Fuck it, I'm not going Fucking anywhere." Eaten. And occasionally, he would rise from his grave, and all of the scrapyarders would rally behind him, and they just march. And it would say, a "Scrapyarder has appeared," and you could just go beat him up, and you get a badge for it. But you had to take on the ghost of the proletariat. <laughs> Bonus. Do you remember what that badge was, my friend? The badge you got for killing him was Hammer Down. <laughs> and the badge you got for killing the protesters was Strike Breaker. Ah, yeah, see, see. 
Let you know. Let you know who's the bad guy there. Yep. (laughs) You don't don't get to be a good guy and a Pinkerton. Sorry, Booker. Oh, boy. (laughs) Oh, man. But, yeah, that... That idea of what your setting does is so... Like, what do you want to do? Because you still want to have people, you know, looking like us, who go to work, who, you know, drive their cars and live their lives and what have you. But you want to... Yeah, you want some resonance between their normal and our normal. Right. That's also the fun thing of the variance, because if I read a high fantasy novel, unless... And this is the thing, too. Sometimes it can be interesting to just have it suddenly become aliens. Most of the times it's just kind of dumb. Whereas if I'm, you know, fighting, you know, evil, you know, cultists in a superhero setting and suddenly it turns out they're worshipping an alien, I'm like, that's awesome. Same on the flip side, you know, if yeah. I think it's aliens and actually it was ghosts the whole time and a superhero thing, I'm like, oh, that's some fun Scooby-Doo shit that I can't get anywhere else without it sucking. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> And that, and that indeed is uh, this this pastiche. The funny thing is, it doesn't break verisimilitude for you to be reading a story about a, a cult and to have them say, yes, we worship the thing that we haven't actually investigated very closely and we don't know very much about, but we're very, very sure it agrees with us. And then you find out that it's actually an alien being manipulative. Or if uh, it, it, in Winter Soldier, the discovery that actually Bucky wasn't evil, it was someone else in control of him that's the same basic thing it's an expanding understanding of a character and you can do that you can totally do that stuff and it doesn't break the story the the problems you get are when things that happen defy our conception of normal uh there was a there was a story um i think it was warren ellis uh which was about basically it was about the bush administration really like we, we could pretend otherwise, but it was pretty much just about the Bush administration, where a superhero recognizing uh, illegitimate wars and whatnot of the uh, the villain cast, uh, oh, sorry, uh, uh, of the, the president, decided that what, he, what was the best course of action for him as a representative of superheroing was to just go and kill the president in front of the press corps and just really heck him up. Now, that story wound up being about... Like Shadow of the Hedgehog. Yeah. <laughs> I actually can't remember the name of the uh, the comic. Um, I remember the name of the villain, the, the hero who did it. It was Horus, and he was basically dude with guns, which is just you know obviously my favorite type of superhero. Horus, H O R U S, Egyptian god of light. Yeah, it was. He didn't light powers, yeah. wings, nothing. Nope. Just nope, nope. What a guns. waste of a and, gimmick! God damn. <laughs> and a completely white costume. Ah, that he was a white guy. Uh. <laughs> See, this is the shit that gets on Clay's nerve. It's wasting idea space. The fucking... Uh, <laughs> uh, remember, Horus was a character in the City of Heroes comics. And that, he did the... And yes. he, he turned out to be a, a fucking uh, peace bringer. So it's like, oh, he has light powers. And he yes. wears all this Egyptian shit. And he's like, there's some there there. And I mean, I've complained about, like, fucking Web of Life and all that shit. But that's because of time. We've spent so much time with those characters being a certain type of thing and then you just flip the switch it's different if it's an arc you know it's different when it's a new character you know well it's like all right all right we're, we're, we're getting into this we're getting into this because this is part of setting this is part of setting all right the thing is that with web of lifestyle whoopsie kind of stuff with changes of characters 
that was not done for any purpose. That was done because someone wanted to do it uh, and focus stuff on what they wanted to do. In the case of when you show a character can do a thing and then you show later an explanation for that thing that broadens the world, that brings in more ideas or connects them to things that hitherto they had not been connected to and they needed, you wind up with something really good and interesting. Like in the case of Horus, the revelation that this dude who was very old and had light-themed powers was connected to the very old race of light-themed aliens. That is connectivity. That is... Uh, uh, that builds verisimilitude because now both of those things feel more real because they are like one another and connected to one another. It's when you have this... And this is something that fucking... Uh, fucking Marvel is terrible at, by the way. When you have a bunch of people whose superpowers are almost identical and have nothing functionally in common, even if it, even if it's just like Bullseye and the Punisher and uh, a couple of other really good gun havers who are all superpower caliber but not actually superpowered-ish, right? When they all just can hang at that level with no meaningful connection between them beyond the fact that, well, we have guns... It makes them really boring, and it means that they don't feel like they belong to the same universe. Connecting things to one another is part of how you build that feeling of reality. And this is why I always said that letting those types of characters just have different powers. You know, you know, Aranya had her uh, exosuit. Uh, you know, Spider Woman has all her stuff going on. Ara- um, Arachne, she's modern web now, has psychic things going on and they're all kind of spidery but they're not the same thing that allows you to have that similarity and theme with not you know having that question oh they all climb walls and swing webs why it's a different conversation and that makes your setting bigger because now you have all these magical things going on that are kind of similar and allows you to explore that realm without just saying well i want to stick a spider character or a bat character in here you know well, this actually struck me as one of the weirder things I thought they were going to try and do with the whole Peter as a CEO yeah. thing in Spider-Man lately, where he could have made Spider-Man a brand. Oh, you mean like that? And then said, all right, look, you know, you are people who have spidery powers, and I'm going to bring you all together, and I'm going to give you, like, a common branding and a common united set of things, and we will use the fact that we have that common uh, perception from the people as our central point for our, uh, for our, uh, like, you know, our brand. And that means that even though our powers may all come from very different things, we still get to connect to one another. You get a spider label and out of character branding. And, you know, you can still have them all have their really weird, wacky, different uh, approaches to all, being well, spidery. Spider Rider and Kali made a lot of them just the same, which was, I guess, the more boring. Instead of them all being weird and different, they're all just spider people connected by the same thing. But what I really wanted to get into is, so, are you pitching Batman Inc. Spider-Man version? You forgot about Batman Inc. <laughs> I forgot about Batman. I forgot about Batman Inc. so thoroughly. For the listeners' sake, and also for mine. What the fuck is Batman Inc.? Okay, Batman Inc. was during the Grant Morrison run, and it's basically Uh-oh. what you're describing. He went. He went. Yeah, right. Me and Grant Morrison. He went around finding. <laughs> Finding, you know, these street-level dudes who... Because, see, this is an actually an older concept of... Um, God, I don't... I don't want to... I don't think it was actually called, like, the League of Batman or something. But it involved characters <laughs> like... It involved characters like Knight and Squire, who was literally just... We're the British Batman and Robin! And he's got a knight, a knight outfit, but his, his uh, like, 
face cover for his helmet has ears and a god man of bats from the the uh, Native American Batman. Like these are old ideas. And oh no! What Grant Morrison <laughs> likes to do is go and take these old ideas and say, "Hey, this is old Golden Age stuff that everybody forgot about." No, it totally still happened. Fuck you, Crisis. And that's one of that's one of his things. And so that was his idea with Batman Inked, where. He took, he got, he just said, no, I'm, Bruce Wayne basically comes out and says, hey, yeah, everybody, I fun Batman, big whoop, ha <laughs> surprise, I, I, I got ahead of that, right, he got out in front of that, and then he, then he goes, yeah. and, and that honestly strikes me as one of the more useful bullshit lies you can have these days when you're dealing with billionaire quality Superman, oh, sorry, billionaire quality Batman, because let's not kid ourselves, if it came out that fucking one of our real world millionaires was like, oh, yeah, I actually spend millions of dollars every year to help this one really weird dude dress up like a squirrel and punch people. You wouldn't bat an eye. I mean, that was... <laughs> You're like, oh yeah. That was the Iron Man, like, cover for so many years. It was just... It was it was weird the, 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 the lengths he went to to keep that identity, despite the fact that nobody cared, you know? Like, mm. Well, that one, that one's also bad because... That, that one's actually kind of worse because Iron Man is explicitly a piece yeah. of military-grade hardware, and we have rules about people having military-grade hardware in the real world. And so if you frame it as, you know, this is my test pilot who is testing this military hardware I've made, you know, that, that changes the context of that a little, and it makes it a little more of a believable lie. But no one cared, Tony. You're a yeah, millionaire. You're allowed to do whatever you but want. But it is what it is. But... <laughs> <laughs> that whole thing, right, of putting the like the layers down. That's why characters like Waller and Fury are so important because and why it's good to have them doing things and have their own stories because it lets us know what that part of the universe is doing and it connects all of the military characters running around. You know, I mean I'm pretty sure Sandra Rock is dead, but he's still kinda relevant. I'm surprised. Like in this era of hyper militarization that Sergeant Rock is it like a big modern deal. I'm probably completely fucking wrong. And Sergeant Rock has like a twenty thousand, you know, super big, you know, issue run going that I didn't know about. But I ain't heard shit about Sergeant Rock in forever. So I'm assuming there's nothing going on with him and Easy Company. Like probably, yeah. But just that whole thing of yeah, like, what's the military doing? What's the magic world doing? And what's the connection? And what's your everyday life like? This is a thing that came up uh, with the New 52, and they kind of made fun of themselves when they did it. But DC finally acknowledged it was a bit weird for Superman to have a middle-class job as a reporter. And that particular particular arc, by the way, is a really interesting thing, because we don't have a lot of characters who lasted that long in the same profession as long as they did. The world changed around Superman... And the vision of normal Superman had adjusted with it well after the fact. Because when Superman Mm. started, reporters were not middle class. Reporters were working class. And in many cases, they were working very hard. It was a job where you basically had to literally run around all day, do a ton of cramped handwriting on a pad. And then when you got back to work in the morning, spend all of it typing up what you just did. It was a really rough job and it didn't pay very well. Then you had the slow evolution of television and cable television changing the nature of what a news journalist was and what they did. And this changed the profile of how news as an institution worked, which in turn changed how reporters 
worked, which meant that in the 90s, Superman was middle class. Superman had a nice place. It wasn't remarkable that he lived in some nice apartment that he bought entirely in Metropolis. There wasn't a discussion of like, I don't know how you could possibly afford this. It, it just was there. Yeah. And it's interesting when that gets updated because as much as I will, and I will like rag on the Ultimate Spider-Man Disney cartoon, one of the things that was kind of interesting of is what they did with J. Jonah Jameson where he's not a reporter anymore. He's basically just this like, Bill O'Reilly type figure. This is what he always been, right? And and they, they did a, a running a constant running gag was he has these fucking televised billboards where he yells at everybody, you know, all around the city. And of course, they always get smashed in the middle of a big fight. So he'd always be like, you know, Spider Man's a menace and yada yada every day. And that was just the update of his news life. Even him being like a shitty mayor is not a bad direction for that character to go. And it says something about the city and the environment. Even though, you know, it's New York, it's the world outside your window. Well, excuse me, but uh, J. Jonah Jameson is not the mayor of New York in the real world. That's one of those downsides of using real name cities, is that you don't, you have to adjust or you just give up at a certain point. Yeah. Uh, now, Marvel, for, for anyone who's not familiar with this, by the way, Marvel has a particularly wonky uh, in-universe explanation for this. Because in-universe... Marvel Comics exists, and Marvel writers... Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Marvel writers periodically publish Marvel Comics in Marvel Comics. And they're sometimes shown, and this was much more common in the 70s and the 80s, chasing around heroes to get the the scoop on, hey, what was this latest thing you did? All right, I'll write that down, and I will totally put this in your next issue of your comic that apparently you're not getting any money for? I don't... That, that was never touched on. Oh no! There's a great, uh, there's a great like alt universe. Um, I think it's the MC2 universe where Peter Parker basically retires because he loses his leg and becomes like a traffic cop or something, which yeah. you know whatever. But and so his his daughter picks up the mantle, Mayday Parker, and she has this adventure where she finds like apparently there were like like TV shows released or a movie release or something, and she's like, yeah, that's like, yeah, whatever, <laughs> and she's like. Uh, these DVDs are coming out again. Like, I don't know, some weird, like, tiny Chinese operation is putting out DVDs. It's like, hmm. <laughs> she goes to invest, and she goes to investigate, and it was a lost villain of his. It's like, if I do these again, he'll come back, and I can get him. He'll investigate. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> and she shows up, like, who the fuck are you? It's like, I'm Spider-Girl. Whatever, bam. <laughs> Now, on the flip side of that, there's Combo Man. That oh God! Dead silence. <laughs> the listener, I've I've I... cut that silence out, but trust me, it was longer than you think. <laughs> I think I know this one. It's the guy who was the fucking made for the, the snack. Is this so the snack there was guy? a guy. There was a guy in the nineties who had the combined powers of. A bunch of different superheroes in layers up and down his body. And he got his powers by eating combos, which are like a potato snack, I think? We don't get it's, them here. It's like a it's like some kind of pretzel thing with stuff inside. It's dumb. Okay, yeah. They're gross. Uh, They're gross. And in universe, what happened to cause this character, Combo Man, aka 
Rick Wilder was that he got caught up in a lab explosion with a packet of combos and his stack of Marvel comics. What was that? Ah, oh, man. Uh, uh, uh. He had all the powers of the Hulk, Cyclops, Iron Man, Magneto, the Punisher, Captain America, Sabretooth, Carnage, Daredevil, Spider-Man, the Century, the Human Torch, the Silver Surfer, and Gambit. Wait, 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 wait. This is like a 90s style thing or like an 80s style thing? 1996. Okay, the Century's that old? I thought the Century was like an early 2000s thing. I'm, I'm, I'm directly... Sir, Have I'm avoiding this, this conversation by getting into nitpicks about the age hmm. of the century. You're not going to stop me from doing that. <laughs> no, 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 no. no we're, we're doing this. We're doing this on the century now. Hang on. Have you looked at the century? Have you actually looked at the century? Have you looked at that prog rock album motherfucker who holds up a sword and a rainbow falls out of it and thought, no, no, that looks that looks early 2000s to me. Sir? <laughs> yes. Sir? <laughs> <laughs> Century is 1994, and he was basically what happened if you tried to interpret a prog rock album cover with a totally sweet wizard and unicorn through Rob Liefeld's descriptive lens. There's confusion happening. Because maybe I'm confusing the Century for Hyperion or something, but the Century. Marvel Superman? You probably are. (laughs) Okay. uh, Existed in the past, was erased from history does great good and then has to do great evil, but they didn't want to do that, so they wrote that out. No, that's Hi- that that's Hyperion, dude. That's that's not that is the not century the century. Or the ce- are we using different words? Century. Century. Century was a nineteen ninety four space bullshit character. Okay, okay. I'm saying the century. Century. S E N T R Y. Oh, century. No. Yes. Yes. No. Yeah, okay. See? <laughs> Once again, we're an international podcast. <laughs> okay, because I was... Uh, I think the important thing is... The important thing here is we're not talking about Combo Man anymore. <clears throat> <laughs> well, he's got Gambit's powers, so he sucks. Because <laughs> hey. Gambit sucks. I like Gambit's powers. I like Gambit sometimes. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Fuck you, man. <laughs> I don't know. There's something that's always creeping me out about the fact that when you when you do your math on Gambit and Rogue, it's just not comfortable. I mean, I'm all. not going to defend Gambit. I'm just going to say I like him sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> also, he has the powers of the Hulk, Cyclops, Iron Man, Magneto, the Punisher. <laughs> so he has a look, gun. Man. Look, man. The Punisher's power is PTSD. <laughs> and living in a van. There's a great Punisher game. Well, great. There's a Punisher game where you have to, like, it's way more punishery, so you have to, inter- you know, um, interrogate people with violence or what have you, and you can set them up in these complicated, horrible death traps and, like, try to push them into, like, meat grinders and shit and say, tell me! And occasionally they'll say a thing, and that'll just trigger this, like, flashback of comic panels of Frank's parents, you know, family dying, you know? Like, please don't kill me. I have a family. 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 <laughs> <laughs> amazing. But yeah, Just like, amazing. The, God, the mental health, like, institute, well, we know for a fact that the mental health, like, system in superhero settings are terrible because we've seen them, but just, like, how many people would just not? Yeah. It's weird because you don't want to get into that dynamic of, well, you know, having a mental illness makes you a violent psychopath because that's, you know, 
that's its own fucking problem. But even like, you know, oh, what if Batman got therapy? Would he have been Batman? I don't know, maybe. <laughs> like, if he got, if he went to fucking Arkham, maybe. <laughs> maybe he would have been worse. <laughs> well, and then you get to the, and then you get the additional problem of oh, why yeah. his mental health so bad in oh, man. Just uh, the Gotham. Because it's haunted. And <laughs> and that's an, that is another thing. That's another thing about setting. Because the setting wants to enable superhero stories. So you either have to look at in the context of, of Batman stories that mental health sucks. Like all mental health care is garbage in that setting. But also there is the side effect that why is that garbage becomes a story in itself. And it's because the biggest mental health institute in the area, the type of which, by the way, that hasn't existed since the 90s, is in fact haunted. That actually, like, it's called, you know, Arkham Mental Health Facility or something, and everybody just yeah. calls Arkham Asylum, you know? Like, where yeah. I live, there's this place called Carver Heights. Nobody calls it Carver Heights, it's Carver Village, you know? But, yeah, well, we we have uh, we we live near a large mall that uh, was for the most of my life called the Shell Harbor Square. It's not in Shell Harbor; it's in a place called Blackbutt, but no one wanted to call it Blackbutt Square. <laughs> well, because they're usually not square. <laughs> if your Blackbutt is square, understand that we love you and we accept you the way you are. And that all butts are beautiful, square yes, yes, or otherwise. Yes, square butt. But um, <laughs> th- that's one of those things to say, why doesn't Batman, you know, use this for this? Like, yo, there's like five things wrong with Gotham that prevent him from doing that. It's, it's haunted. <laughs> it's got its own personal Illuminati that wear owl masks. It's, you know, it's, there's so many fucking different things going on in any of these settings that prevent it from being normal. Like, factually, textually. Like, no, no, no. There's a thing there. There's a There's a ghost. There's a, there's a fucking demon. There's you know, all this other shit. I will, I will never get over it's fucking haunted, <laughs> though. Like, you have corrupt police. You have literal, actual, super, super insano people with, like, mystical, magical forms of mental illness that make them capable of infecting people with it. You have all of this stuff, and then just underneath it, just, just in case, just a little, uh, a little dash of well, like, fucking haunted. Of, I, I am, I am like sixty percent sure Metropolis has. Where is Silver Bench? Well, Silver Bench is clearly from, um, not from Metropolis, but is she? You know, because she's a banshee. But is she? Does she? Does Silver Banshee haunt Metropolis? Because she's a ghost. That's actually a super good question. <laughs> like, because then, then, then Metropolis is haunted. <laughs> And everywhere is haunted. As long as there's one ghost-based enemy in your environment, then your city is haunted. By the way, on that note, I would like to point out, do you remember who's responsible for writing the story where we all went, oh, Arkham's uh, haunted? You're going you're gonna to tell me it's Grant Morrison, right? That's Grant Morrison in Arkham Asylum, but a serious house on serious mm, earth. Because wasn't part of the thing where, like, his mother was pursued by a demon and actually it was just a fucking, like, actual bat in the room. Like, maybe all the haunting... Well, that's fun, right? It's like, was it haunted or was it bullshit? Who knows? Maybe. But then it's like, you can't play that game when Etrigan lives in Gotham. He's over there. So it's like, no, like, that's the fun... Because I love those types of stories and I like it when that happens in a story like Batman where it's like, maybe it wasn't magic. Though The whole problem with that, and that's the setting issue, is, like, you could also just go... Like to the next town and solve the mystery, right? 
you can't have that Scooby-Doo shit going on forever. Where it's like, it may have been magic. Oh, oh, let me go ask the magic guy. Hey, Dr. Fate, was this magic? Oh, yes, it was magic. Oh, okay, thank you. And, like, that just, like, kills the whole thing. It's part of the thing where you don't have them do that. Your setting has to have characters not do that to maintain certain things that make them attractive. Just like everything else we've been saying. It's like... This all binds together in that question of setting of, of the world and tangibly we know that the big two settings are different and then you get other settings that are trying to do similar things but also be different um invincible for example is very much set in a setting that wants to try and give you the idea and the shape of dc's big universe but doesn't want to actually fill it in it, it wants to leave the impression of that space without having to go through so much of it you know yeah well that's the thing about writing you know self-contained stories that don't have a thousand different tendrils coming in that have to hypothetically continue on forever is that you can handle your setting much better and you can just treat it you know from a perspective of writing and not from a perspective of managing brands and making sure these parts all intersect it's way more concise to just have to imply because that's what you want to do in a, like a set self-contained narrative you want to imply a lot of shit about your narrative without wasting time going into lore because you know you're not telling a story then you're just talking about all this stuff that happened in the past and like lore that intersection with lore is so difficult sometimes mm. a lot of the time what we're talking about with these connections should be thought of in terms of broadening things you can get situations where a character being connected to everything actually makes everything yeah. kind of boring uh look at the way that for a while there wolverine or batman were both just overwhelming presences in their respective universes that meant that a lot of the setting got kind of boring because batman had already thought of this problem and probably already could deal with it if you bothered to go get him and similarly every single conspiracy uh in the world had some connection with james howlett on some level which meant that, for the most part, almost all of these vast, world-spanning conspiracies with plans and machinations were almost all about just giving Wolverine a shitty day. One bad day. But, yeah, that's that. That's part of where you want to, like, have a place where it stops. Because then, um, you get to the thing of, uh, uh, Necron, you know? How he's connected to every major death in the universe. I mean, that's a cool lore thing, and... That was a fun event, you know, uh, Blackest Night with all the, there's this one force, you know, in control of all the depths ever, but like, I don't know how that flavors certain, like, meaningful deaths, you know? Yeah. Now, I did, I did actually quite like that as a setting element, Necron served as a nice, uh, again, Hail Mary kind of thing for, why yeah. do so many people come back but from the dead? Because that was kind of a cool thing to do, but then the question is like, hang on, did he cause it, or is he just something that hangs right, around in the realm of the dead and has that capacity? And they and they went too far. They made him causal rather than connected. Yeah, you want to again. You want to keep that vagueness so that for a, if someone's going to come back, there's like a fifty-fifty chance the answer will be they didn't actually die. You know, like Superman, yeah, he didn't actually die, but then he got tied up in that. Like, wait a minute, sir, I didn't die. Like we. You can't claim me, Necron, because I didn't actually die. Like, whatever! Blah, you're a zombie. Excuse me. Yeah. 
<laughs> and there's a lot of that. Well, actually, I think you're fine that I did not actually die. <laughs> there's a couple of those, right? And, and how does time bullshit come into play? Because, like, I think a lot of people are familiar with the Red Hood from the movie, which was better yeah. than his actual plot. I mean, it's about the same, but one of the things the movie did that was much cleaner is they just go, alright, Ra's al Ghul caught him, put him in the Lazarus pit. Versus the way it actually happened in the comics, we were in Superboy Punch Time and caught... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> just every... Just every That time. all came back for you, <laughs> I've worked so much that it doesn't affect me anymore. You get... <laughs> Someone approved that! Someone got paid for that! <laughs> Jeff Johns got paid for that. <laughs> well, what's what's going to be the what's going to be the instigatory event? Like we're 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 a we're a company of professionals. We know how to tell stories. What what is it going to be our, uh, our our single instigating event that manages to define this new direction we're going in? What if Superboy gets mad enough to punch everything? Hey, hey man, <laughs> sir, I approve of all Jang Yang based storylines where someone just says "fuck it," I'll beat up everybody. I'm down for that. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's actually a really romantic story in the very classic uh, capital R romantic. It, it's focused on oh, yeah. emotions, and it is trying to tell you a story where the emotional power of wanting to change the world is enough to do it, and that's cool, but but it was handled so badly. It's just funny, but that weird intersection... Again, where you want to keep certain, like, very thin walls between environments and let that live so that, so you can have this elaborate spy ninja drama plotline surrounding characters like Red Hood and Batman without having time punches come into play. Yeah. Now, there is one, before we wrap up, there is one interesting superhero setting that I wanted to talk about really briefly, because it's on my mind lately and I think it's really good. And that is. The setting of Miraculous Ladybug and Cat Noir. Do I say that again? Miraculous Ladybug and Cat Noir. See, I have... Uh, and that keeps circling around me, and I'm going to get into it eventually, but go. Alright, so Miraculous Ladybug and Cat Noir is a pretty damn good superhero series. I will be writing about it for more words than this, uh, more in depth later. But the basic gist of... The basic gist of this series that really sets it apart is that it is a girls' show. Like, you could say, oh, everything is for everyone, but you know that when people sit down to make things, they often are bearing in mind bearing in mind types of audience. And that's just how it is. And Miraculous Ladybug is a show written for girls. And it's set in modern-ish Paris. But actually modern Paris, not what a 35-year-old man who remembers being young in Paris would actually write. <laughs> so the characters all have phones. Phones are a major part of the infrastructure of the story. People don't have... Uh, uh, there aren't questions of like, oh, why can't we get in contact with X? When someone is not available on their phone, it's a cause for concern. People go out of their way, and that changes the way the stories are handled. Wi-Fi is a thing regularly distributable social media of the students is a thing then you also tie in 
tourism and the way that tourists interface with actual native Parisians and the way that Parisians regard things versus the way other people regard those things. And it's all really interesting because I've never fucking seen it before. Mm. I'm just reminded of Runaways and how they, like, talked about... Mm. (laughs) Except for Wonder Man. You don't count. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) I I really like it. I really like Runaways. I, I I would I would happily listen to Clay talk about Runaways for a while. Right, just how they say why is why is you know L A still relatively current at the time L A and they go oh well there's a conspiracy so we'll keep all that Marvel shit over there. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, like the and the thing is by dint of having characters using phones with just like reasonable interfaces. Like, it's a phone that looks like an actual person would use. It's so fascinating. Like, it has the share button in it at one point. Of course, you and I know what a share button looks like. And the story doesn't need to do anything to say, oh, that's a share button, in case you didn't know. Because it's a fucking share button. Of course we know what a share button looks like. Yeah, and that's a, that's an age thing, right? Because as the... And yeah. honestly, like, in modern times, I feel like the amount of time people's careers in art has started to shrink, you know? So, like... The turnover is getting quicker, and yeah. unfortunately, a lot of like comics, like superhero comics, there's a lot of old guard that haven't gone away yet, despite the fact that that turnover is much faster in every other form yep. of media. Yeah, it, that that's almost like there's a sort of like small pe- uh, group that have a kind of a lineage thing going on, and they just get to reward themselves and people who they see as like themselves, and just endlessly failing upwards despite having produced nothing good ever, you garbage human. <laughs> Frank. Sure. Damn, dude, I like some Frank stuff. Sherilyn Eaton said it, and it, and it, and it, and it made like a whole lot of sense to me. She says, uh, Morrison's beget ways. That is, Grant Morrison basically vetted Gerard Ray, Way, and he's writing Doom Troll right now. And they're very similar sort of guys of different generations. And you get a lot of that. And that informs yeah. setting because you've got a lot of people who go... Uh, even going into like within the setting, there's a good thing in Silk where she works for J. Jonah Jameson now because he's not mayor again. He works for a news organization and he likes her because she's old school. He calls her analog. The reason she's old school is because she's been in a bunker for like 15 years and so she still has a flip phone, right? And you're like, I like you. You're old, like me. Nice. And there's a bit of that in the promotion of the like the settings of superhero narratives because. It's like, you, you don't do new things like me. Come here, let me give you a job. And you can inform the setting for the next five, six, seven years. And that's part of how it's... And this underscores the dark secret of the setting and what makes Versimilitude work. Because Versimilitude isn't about a realistic depiction of reality. It's about what people want to see. And right now... There is a large generation of economically disposed nerds coming into their 30s and early 40s shitting themselves, realizing that they're old. I mean, I'm doing it pretty constantly, and I'm not even that old. I, like, you you can joke about it, but this is something that seriously keeps me up at night. It, It is a thing that will get at you at some point, and there's a bunch of people who are now looking at J. Jonah Jameson and realizing that they've got more in common with him than they do with Spider-Man. And that's when he starts to become more sympathetic and a bit less of an unreasonable choke. There's, 
there's some good older plot lines about like the complexities of Jonah Jameson, but also yeah, like they softened him a lot. Like it, it was funnier. It's what's interesting about this, right? Is depending on how like of how much of a fan, like a hardcore fan, the person is, they'll write him differently. Like Dan Slott still basically writes Jameson as the same guy like he's been because he is so attached to old like Spider-Man narratives where J. Jameson was this big jerk. So like you get that, then you get in the silk, and yeah. this is a different person writing him, and she you know portrays him as kind of sympathetic and still kind of that asshole. Like a night, it's not like. I forget who said it, but it's not like an asshole propaganda sort of thing where he's an asshole, but he gets things done. Not that bullshit. It's just like, eh, he's got his, he's got his moments, you know, or fucking Perry White. God, I'm trying to Perry White, who is basically the same guy, but less of an asshole. Yeah. yeah per- Perry White, uh, yeah. that sound really weird, but for a while there, Perry White was very much a dad figure. Mm-hmm. Whereas J. Jonah and- Jameson is very much a boss figure. Anyway, that, that's a particular thread to, 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 to go through. It's funny because he's always been that, and now Superman's a dad. So does that make her what a granddad? That's pretty cool, actually. That's like grand. That's like how Commissioner Gordon became granddad yeah, yeah, Batman. Yeah. Still don't have. Well, we're working on that breakdown of Grandpa Superman. We'll get there. We'll get there. Oh God! Don't get Perry White superpowers. All right then. So mm. to wrap up, setting is more about feeling real than being real. It's connected to what you expect of and see as normal. And yeah. it allows and enables a platform yeah, for you to put definitely. your stories and out there. It's always important to let the characters take like the forefront more so than the setting. But because then you have such situations where setting mm. things, interf- you know, interfere with your character. It's like event based writing almost, you know, if you're I'm talking about like crossover big events, not just events, yeah. you know. <laughs> That sort of dynamic is, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, but, you know, event based writing is, is almost more to serve the setting than it is to serve any of the characters because then you have your characters being interfered with by their setting, you know, that we have to deal with, you know, this new aspect of the setting where everyone's fighting about seeing the future or whatever the fuck. And that's when the setting kicks in your door and proclaims that you have to do <laughs> it as opposed to your characters are facilitated by the setting. All right. Anyway, that was From the Rooftops. Thank you very much for listening. Tune in next time when we'll talk about Blade. Uh, no, we won't.